You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, breaking details about a rescue involving two young children who plunged into an icy lake. The boys, believed to be 10 years old, fell into Oxbow Lake in Coquitlam this afternoon. A neighbor who lives on the edge of the lake heard their screams and went to help. I grabbed my kayak and I tried to throw it in the water and paddle out towards the child. But I wasn't getting anywhere because it just couldn't move on the ice. So then I ran back in my house and I grabbed my ladder, I have an aluminum ladder, and I ran around towards the beach through the uh, ladder. There was another gentleman on the beach at the time. With the two of us, we slid the ladder out towards the boy that was in the water. And uh, I guess we weren't able to get out there because we kept falling through the ice ourselves. But we went out as far as we could. And then uh, we were able to slide the ladder out towards the boy and he was able to grab the rung of the ladder. And once he was able to grab on, we were able to pull him up out of the water and slide him back across the ice towards the shore. Well, police and rescue crews arrived on scene a short time later. Aside from being cold, both children are expected to be okay. Now, new details tonight about that violent attack outside an elementary school in Delta. An off-duty police officer is being held a hero tonight for intervening in a fight between a man and a woman that left both the officer and the woman with stab wounds. Jill Bennett has more on their conditions tonight. And Jill, what we're learning about this attack... Sophie, we now know off-duty acting Sergeant John Jasmines was the officer who intervened. He was stabbed more than once in the abdomen. He had surgery yesterday and is recovering. So, too, is the woman who was stabbed. And as you said, this all unfolding outside a busy school. No school today at Immaculate Conception Elementary. After a bloody scene Wednesday afternoon, police say a fight broke out between a man and a woman. At the same time, an off-duty acting sergeant with Delta Police was picking up his kid. He then jumped in to stop the dispute. John saw it was an, uh, an immediate circumstance that needed action, and as a result, he jumped in and did a barrel tackle of this gentleman while he was in the process of using the knife. Acting Sergeant John Jasmines is a former member of the gang unit and former school liaison. He spoke to Global BC in 2015 about stopping youth and gang violence. We all have a role to play in this, and we all have a responsibility to help steer youth away from this. During the altercation outside the school, police say the woman who was the subject of the attack from her spouse was also stabbed. The woman involved in the incident is a 41-year-old resident of Delta, and she remains in serious condition, but certainly is improving, so we're, we're very hopeful that uh, she will be able to, at one point in time, make a full recovery. For parents and students at the school, it was a frightening scene to witness. I was pretty scared. We knew what was going on, but it, it's still scary to know. School staff responded so commendably in securing the situation and safely removing the students and putting them into the school and putting the students into lockdown. A suspect was arrested within moments. As for the actions of the off-duty officer, police say had he not intervened, things could have been much worse. It didn't surprise me though that he got involved. He's that type of a police officer. He would go towards others' trouble. And um, that's what he did in this case. Good thing he did. Uh, Jill, what do we know about the suspect and where this stands in the court system? So at this point, Sophie, police have identified the suspect as 49-year-old Minaj George. He does not have a criminal record. However, today police did confirm they were aware of issues in that marriage. Now, he has appeared in court. He faces two counts of aggravated assault as well as two counts of assault with a weapon. And that case was put over until Monday. Sophie?
All right. Thanks for that. Jill Bennett reporting live tonight. A missing persons case has turned into a murder investigation and police need your help. 38-year-old Rajwinder Baines was first reported missing by her family January 23rd. Police say she was last seen leaving a TD Canada Trust Bank in the 5600 block of 152nd Street on January 7th. During the course of the investigation, Ms. Baines' body was discovered and IHIT has now taken over the case. The case is now being investigated as a homicide. Anyone with information is asked to contact the IHIT tip line or Crime Stoppers. Vancouver police releasing the year-end crime statistics for 2018 today. The good news, violent crime is down. The not-so-good news, an increase in property crime, driven mostly by theft from motor vehicles, which now accounts for 35% of all property crime. Jordan Armstrong has a look at where it's a big problem and some simple solutions from police. Uh, when I see broken glass, I get nervous. All of this broken auto glass is on Howe Street, ironically just across from the downtown law courts. For thieves, there is no forbidden territory, and it seems everyone who lives or parks in Vancouver has a horror story. My boss was actually on Powell Street. He jumped from the front of the van in through the back. Someone opened his door, stole his lunch kit. I've been broken into a couple of times, I would say maybe twice or three times. Well, five, six, yeah. Not surprisingly, the majority of thefts from auto occur in downtown Vancouver and the West End. Which street's the worst? Uh, 500th Abbott, uh, Taylor, 500 Taylor, it's all around Tinseltown. That's a bad one. Bad area. Last year, vehicle break-ins spiked more than 16% citywide. For an average, 40 smash and grabs every single day. A type of crime that's doubled in seven years. We know that we have chronic offenders in the city that do commit them continuously. We know the population of Vancouver is increasing. It's a highly preventable crime. The thing that I always go back to is that lock your car and don't leave anything visible. But that doesn't always work. Several people we spoke to say they've left their cars empty and locked and still been smashed. The last time it was broken into, no, they didn't take anything because there was nothing in there to take. So what are police doing about the problem? It's a whole host of things. It's not a simple thing. It's the chronic offenders. It's speaking with the prosecutors in the courts about sentencing issues. It's prevention. While auto crime is up, household and business break-ins are down. And so is violent crime, slightly, with fewer homicides, bank robberies and shots fired. The mayor is satisfied with the numbers. I'd be much more worried if people were complaining about a, a large increase in violent crime. So I think we, we've got the mix right. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, just when you were probably hoping we had seen the last of it, here we snow again. A snowfall warning is in effect. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is live in Vancouver with more on where we're going to see it and when, Christy. Thanks, Chris. So if I'm at the home show here, more on that in a second, but it will push in overnight and we will drop down to zero degrees in most of Metro Vancouver. So we will likely see it as snow, but there will be a few areas that will see more of a rain-snow mix and therefore less accumulations. We'll see that snow fall through between about 4 a.m. and noon tomorrow, but the more intense period will likely be between 7 and 10 a.m. Right during that morning commute where some areas 
areas could see up to 10 centimeters, whereas other areas far less. Will schools be open? It's hard to know right now because they usually make the call earlier around 6 or 7 a.m. and it may not be intense by that time. By the afternoon, conditions certainly ease off much easier out on the road. So. All right, Christy, we'll check in with you for the full forecast a bit later. The intrigue into the spending scandal rocking the B.C. legislature was front and centre again today. Speaker Daryl Plekis ready to address the rebuttals of his report by suspended staff members Craig James and Gary Lenz when there was an unexpected appearance at the committee meeting. Richard Zussman explains. All eyes once again on Speaker Daryl Plekis. Arriving on Thursday with a fresh report, leading to a mad scramble behind the scenes to decide what to do with it. When a surprise plea from Clerk Craig James's lawyer. I want to make clear to the committee that in my view they should not be disclosing, publishing further reports from the Speaker, um, which have not been provided to either Mr. James or Mr. Lentz. The committee then going behind closed doors for more than two hours. After the long wait, this. I move that the committee publicly release the report on the written responses by the speaker. The plea from James' lawyer denied. New allegations in the report against James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz. The pair have now been on leave with pay for more than three months. This is what they've been paid while they've been on leave. James makes $347,000 a year. He's been on leave 93 days and paid before tax $88,436. That's more than $950 a day. Lenz is paid a little more than $218,000. And over that 93 days, he's been paid before tax a little more than $55,000. That's $598 a day. The two people uh, who are under investigation shouldn't be here. The committee also appointing an internal independent investigation into the allegations made by Plekis against James and Lenz. The report will recommend whether the pair remain on paid leave, are returned to their job, are fired, or are moved to leave without pay. We have been dealing with, with a very complex, uh, challenging issue. And we believe that we have identified the, uh, the correct way uh, forward. BC's Auditor General has also officially been tasked with an internal audit. As to when that independent report will be done, it could be months. This as the police are still conducting their investigation alongside a pair of special prosecutors. James and Lenz continue to say they've done nothing wrong. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. You've seen this new report from Plekis, mm -hmm. Keith. What are the new claims in it? Yeah, it's not as big as the first report, and it's a, sort of a detailed response to the counterclaims from Gary Lenz and Craig James. Uh, but Plekis goes back even further with some new allegations about spending uh, by these two gentlemen on uh, overseas trips and contains uh, new uh, anecdotal information backed up with some receipts. So here's some examples of what uh, Mr. Plekis has uncovered. First of all, he says that uh, the Sergeant Arms, Gary Lenz, flew executive first class to London back in tw uh, 2011 at a cost of eight more than $8,000. Uh, uh, 
the two officers claimed attending Mariners baseball games in Whale Washington were actually tried to disguise them as earthquake earthquake preparedness events that cost the taxpayers more than $2,000 for 13 people, including in that same Seattle trip, three working dinners for 13 people costing $3,600. And the clerk had nine Apple devices, which is a lot, including a single $3,400 computer that the legislative computer services said, you don't need this, this is not part of our system, but insisted on buying them anyways. Also, one of the a, a quote from the uh, report, I think, uh, sums up one of the other allegations. Pluck is saying, James did not advise me he was going to take an email approval for one set of expenses and affix it to others I had not seen. He goes on to say, it is not a game of catch me if you can. And finally, some more examples of spending on some trips to Europe. Uh, these were bought in airports. Laptop backpack for more than $432. Carry-on luggage for $645. A luggage at Heathrow, $743. Uh, Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh luggage set at $253. So Plekis basically on a point-by-point -point basis here refutes the uh, the return from James and Lenz and adds some new information about new travel expenses that were not in his first report. Plekis is not backing down here one little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. He admits that some of it is just his ver word against the others and it, it is open to interpretation, but it's interesting he's added more information here with more receipts. Will he be adding any more information in the future, Keith? Uh, more to the point, will he continue to investigate well, according to the Lampsey motion, the uh, the speaker has agreed to uh, to quote recuse himself from the investigation that's about to be launched by an independent, uh, likely retired Supreme Court uh, justice. So he says he's going to recuse himself. We'll see if that's what his office does here. But I have a feeling we haven't heard the end of this from the speaker's point of view. There's more information likely out there. And in terms of the ultimate fate of those two officers, it will likely depend what that uh, new uh, investigator, external investigator, comes up with. Not so much with recommendations, but with his or her assessment of how valid the allegations from the speaker are. In any case, it's not up to Lamsey. It's up to the entire legislature to determine the ultimate future of the clerk and the sergeant-at-arms. All right. Thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Right now, though, with the death toll continuing to climb from B.C.'s opioid crisis, a leading advocacy group is making a recommendation that's bound to generate controversy. The B.C.'s Centre on Substance Use says the province should give addicts access to legal, safe heroin. Nadia Stewart has more on why the Centre claims it would solve a number of problems. We have lost another casualty to the war on drugs today. For the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, this is a difficult day. News of a member's death underscoring the need for bold change, say substance use advocates Erica Thompson and Dean Wilson. What we're trying to do here is to keep the people that are already using this drug safe and sound. This drug is heroin, and the proposal is for the creation of compassion clubs where legally regulated amounts of it would be made available to users. If we could make heroin available to people who are heroin addicted while not having free and easy access to others, it can probably lead to a culture shift where heroin's not a cool thing anymore. Wood says the club setup would be based on research and similar programs in European jurisdictions. A specialist would first ensure the individual is an addict and not a casual user. Addicts would use on-site in a supervised consumption model where public health and addiction treatment services would also be available. The heroin would also be provided by a pharmaceutical company and the money raised would cover the cost of the program. Ultimately, this would pave the way to an end to heroin prohibition by first addressing the criminal element. The unpredictable and toxic drug market that is run by organized crime has pulled back the curtain really to expose how deeply this crisis affects us all. 
$5 billion in real estate is the tip of the iceberg. There is so much going on in terms of the money going into organized crime. Mental Health and Addictions Minister Judy Darcy says government is reviewing the report. Our focus has been on safe prescription alternatives to the poison drug supply, so this is a very new concept. We want to, we, we want to look at it, of course. But those here say the concept is not new, and it's already happening informally. And with nearly 3,000 deaths over the last two years because of overdoses, those here say government can no longer overlook all the options, even if they're considered controversial. Nadia Stork, Global News. Well, the measles vaccine is mandatory in several provinces. Here in B.C., it remains voluntary. According to a new poll, the majority of respondents want that to change. But while both B.C.'s health minister and education minister have ruled it out as an option, Catherine Urquhart has more on what the province is willing to consider. With the measles outbreak underway in Metro Vancouver, a new poll shows most of us believe vaccinations should be mandatory for children entering school. There is a strong desire. Three quarters of British Columbians say, yes, this is something that should happen. If you want your kid to be able to go to school, they should be vaccinated. Nine cases have been identified by Vancouver Coastal Health, prompting more than two dozen students and one staff to be ordered from schools. Could mandatory vaccinations be considered in B.C.? It appears B.C.'s health minister is leaning towards mandatory registration mandatory registration which we which you know I think a reasonable person Dr. Perry Kendall certainly Dr. Bonnie Henry believe um, would increase the rate of vaccination. Vaccinations are mandatory in several provinces including Ontario where exemptions are strictly controlled. Medical reasons aside if a parent wants their child exempted they must attend a vaccination education course and they must sign and have notarized a statement of conscience or religious belief form, then submit evidence of both to their public health unit. Legal experts say there's no reason BC couldn't make vaccinations mandatory. You can make mandatory vaccinations in schools legal if you made it a term of attending the school. So you can't force somebody in the school to be vaccinated, but you can deny them entry to the school if they haven't provided vaccination records. Measles killed 110,000 people globally in 2017, according to the WHO. An outbreak underway in Madagascar has killed 900. Health officials in B.C. now strongly encouraging vaccinations. So this preventable disease doesn't lead to any deaths here. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. With another wave of snow on the way, you might be looking forward to spring at this point. I'm sure you are, in fact. And the Home and Garden Show is underway at BC Place, getting you ready for all things spring-like and outdoors. That's where meteorologist Christy Gordon is tonight with a lot of great ideas. Christy? That's right. Hundreds of exhibitors here throughout the weekend. And, uh, of course, all of the big names in the industry as well. I'm here with Carson Arthur. He's a landscape expert as well as a host of the H um, HGTV uh, show, Home to Win. Home Tell to win. us. One, two, three, four, Room to Grow, Critical Listing. I've been around for a little while. You have been. And here for eight years. And here for a long time. Yeah, and I'm so excited to be back because this is my spring kickoff. I love being here for this part of the show. 
So tell us what can people expect when they come here and come and see you because you'll be doing some talks. This is all about inspiration. People should be coming here and taking a look at these amazing gardens, all the beautiful displays, the yurt. They should be coming out and really taking that inspiration back home with them to make changes in their own home. Uh, you mentioned yurt. Uh, some people may not know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I love the yurt. So we're all about alternative lifestyles and changing the type of homes we live in. Yurt is a year-round tent. It's really cool. It's something people want to come down and see. So you're going to be here uh, tomorrow and Saturday. I'm here tomorrow and Saturday, and I'm speaking about ways to create these types of backyard spaces, but to do it environmentally friendly, but also to incorporate things like growing vegetables because more and more homeowners are looking to do that today in their backyards. It is such a fun thing to do with the kids. I definitely encourage people. Thanks so much, Carson, for being with us tonight. So if I'll throw it back to you, we'll talk about weather a little bit more later. Thanks, Carson. Always. All right. Thanks, Carson and Christy. A devastating fire races through densely packed buildings in a centuries-old district in Bangladesh, consuming entire neighborhoods. Dozens of people died and more than 50 were injured. Members of a bridal party are thought to be among the victims. It took more than 10 hours for firefighters to get the blaze mostly under control. It's believed to have been started by an explosion at a chemical warehouse. Actor Jesse Smollett appeared in a Chicago court today to answer to charges that he staged a racist and homophobic attack on himself. Police saying his motives were publicity and a higher salary. Actor Jesse Smollett appeared before a judge for the first time, accused not only of a shameful stunt, say Chicago police, but also a serious crime. To stage a hate crime of that nature when he knew as a celebrity it would get a lot of attention is just despicable. Detectives now believe Smollett concocted this bogus assault because he was dissatisfied with his salary on the show Empire, enlisting Allah and Abel Osendairo seen in this surveillance photo, who are now police witnesses. We have the phone records that, that uh, clearly indicate that they talked to each other quite a bit. The actor's legal team vowing to mount an aggressive defense, writing Mr. Smollett enjoys the presumption of innocence, particularly when there has been an investigation where the information, both true and false, has been repeatedly leaked. President Trump lashing out after the arrest, tweeting, What about MAGA and the tens of millions of people you insulted with your racist and dangerous comments? Absolute justice would be an apology to this city that he smeared, um, admitting what he did, and then be man enough to, to offer what he should offer up in terms of all the resources that were put into this. The ultimate fall from grace for an actor now facing possible jail time. Wendy Wolfolk, NBC News, Chicago. The final report into a fatal bus crash in New York in 2017 suggests a freak accident might have been responsible. Security video showed the moment a charter bus clipped a public bus and then slammed into a building. The crash killed a pedestrian, a passenger on the public bus and the driver of the charter bus. Investigators say they can't pinpoint the exact cause, but based on a metallic rattling noise captured on the charter bus audio, it's possible the driver's beverage container fell to the floor, lodged between the gas and brake pedals, and then caused the bus to accelerate uncontrollably. 
And caught on video in Brooklyn, a driver who apparently grew impatient with traffic decided to go around a row of school buses by driving onto the sidewalk. At one point, the vehicle had to slow down to allow some children to scramble out of the way, and then it just kept on going. A state assemblyman released this video, hoping it would help identify the driver. At this point, police say they have tracked down the car, but they haven't made any arrests yet. Another member of one of the most successful pop bands in history has died. Peter Tork, guitarist for the Monkees, passed away at the age of 77. In 1966, Tork was put together with Davy Jones, Mickey Dolenz, and Michael Nesmith for a TV show about a pop band. Despite being dismissed by critics as the prefab four, they were an immediate hit, charting multiple hits, including Daydream Believer and I'm a Believer, both written by Neil Diamond. No word on the cause of death, but Tork had been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer a decade ago. Lead singer Davy Jones passed away back in 2012. In Health Matters tonight, the U.S. Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission are investigating Johnson & Johnson. The two agencies are probing alleged asbestos contamination in Johnson & Johnson baby powder. The company denies that its iconic baby powder could be contaminated and maintains its safety. It says it is cooperating with the government inquiries. Vancouver Island communities of Tofino and Euclid have long had a mostly good-natured rivalry, competing for tourists and attention. But as Kylie Stanton reports, music is now bringing the two communities closer together thanks to a choir that's selling out its performances. If the Wild West Coast had a soundtrack, this is likely what comes to mind. But away from the beach and into town, a new melody is making waves. All right. It all started like these scales. We're an A. One chord, one person. My name is Sophie Lum. I am 35 years old and I'm a choir conductor whose idea hit all the right notes. Put out flyers, choirs starting, and I think like 60 people showed up at the first rehearsal. That was three years ago, and the group has since grown in numbers and popularity. Now known as the Tofino Euclid Choir. Everybody stand up. Diverse in age. I'm 20. I'm 62 years old. I'm 77. And just about everything else. Yeah. All different jobs, different ethnicities, different religions. But the one thing they have in common is obvious. You open up and you sing, and it just connects the people in a very pure form, very like, like, like it's beyond magic. Now they're sharing that magic with audiences on both sides of the Pacific Rim National Park. What's become an opportunity to bridge the divide between the longtime rival communities. Setting an example through song. One was a logging town, one was a fishing town, and all of those things fly out the window when you start singing with a group of people. It's West Coast voices, and we all feel the same love for this place and for music. With every rehearsal, those voices just get stronger. In a place where high notes and high tides are both making a splash. To be doing this here, I'm a very lucky girl. 
Stanton, Global News, Tofino. A hockey player flips a puck into the crowd to give fans a souvenir. After the forecast, how the guy who caught it had some explaining to do. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon at the BC Home and Base, uh, talking about things you can do when the weather gets a little bit better, but maybe not tomorrow, certainly not outdoors tomorrow, Christy. Potentially that the kids could get out there and play. And that is really the big question. Is it going to be a snow day tomorrow? A lot of parents will be asking, and I really urge you to tune back in to the morning news with Mark because it's going to be on the verge. A timing thing, a lot of uh, schools making the call around 6 or 7, and that's when the snow will just be beginning to develop. So it may not have intensified yet. Uh, so we'll be tracking this very closely for you. Here's a look at the snowfall warning that's in place. So we're talking about 2 to 10 centimeters uh, across the region, Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley, including the Sunshine Coast. And this is through the day on Friday. The morning commute is the one that we're really concerned about. Maybe not so much at 6 a.m., but more likely towards 7 and 8 and 9 a.m. is when we're expecting a more intense period of that snowfall. And then the afternoon commute, not too bad. We'll really see the strongest wave through the morning. And then in the afternoon, conditions ease off and they warm up. So we're really talking about just a few showers by the afternoon hours, but the concern is that that morning period. So there's that first band, the heavier amount for the morning. In the afternoon, still a lot of instability in behind that big band of moisture. And then across the north, we will see snowfall, but that will ease through the day. So this is mainly through the morning, whereas areas across the south, it will be later in the day as that band shifts further south. And then you'll see maybe five centimeters across these areas. So rain or Mixed rain and snow or snow through the morning period, changing to showers in the afternoon. Sophie, we still have the potential of flurries or showers right into our Saturday. It's not until Sunday that we're really in the clear. Back to you. Thanks, Christy. A Colorado Avalanche fan is probably still trying to explain himself to his girlfriend after doubling down on bad boyfriend moves. I'm going to give it to this lovely couple up here and. Well, during last night's game, Colorado's, oh, how do I say his name? Gabriel? Oh, Landeskog. Landeskog flips the puck into the stands. As the play-by-play guys point out, complete with Telestrator, as an avalanche fan goes for the puck, he elbows his girlfriend in the face and then gives the puck, not to her, but to the woman sitting in front of them. And the announcers weren't cutting him any slack. Well, the girlfriend's not happy, and he's trying to comfort her and say, Oh, sweetie, sweetie pie, I love you the most. And she's like, Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> don't even touch me. Get off, boy. <laughs> Where did he have his hand? <laughs> I got to um, retell my Spooner joke last night. It was, did you? Did it kill? It, killed. it, totally it killed. killed. I, I thought mean, it would be. It kind of killed the mood. Really? Really? Because no one laughed. But you know what? You could also say if he scores a great goal, he knifed his way through the defense. Oh, so many jokes. Uh, I know, I know. Love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's the gift that he's, keeps on giving. Him and Brandon Sutter. Um, a lot can happen in 10 years. In 2009, Luke Shem was a highly touted rookie with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the first-round draft choice out of the Kelowna Rockets, which over the years have really been a defenseman factory for the NHL. But now Shen is an extra blue liner on a Vancouver Canucks team that only has him here 
because their top two defensemen are hurt. He won't play tonight against Arizona. But just being in Vancouver <laughs> with the Canucks is an opportunity for Shen to convince the NHL he still belongs. Luke Shen isn't necessarily an old dog at age 29, but he's felt it necessary to add a few new tricks to extend his 11-year NHL career. Shen has played 29 games in the AHL this year, the first time he's ever spent time in the minors. But while down there, worked on his quickness and foot speed, and even put up 15 points in 29 games, thanks to some rare power play time. You know, going out of the American League, obviously no one wants to do that, but in hindsight, I'm hoping that it was the best thing for him. He went down there and, you know, played a lot and in a lot of different situations and opportunities that um, haven't in the past couple of years. So right now I, I feel pretty good. I'm hoping, you know, it's one of those situations where you, you take a step back to maybe, uh, you know, pump yourself forward. Today's game is all about skating and speed, even for defensemen. At 6-2-220, Shen's been more of a physical, steady presence on the blue line. But he's realized if he doesn't change with the times, his NHL time could come to an abrupt end. I don't think you're obviously going to become you know, a, a puck-rushing defenseman or nothing like that, but I do think you have to adapt and uh, you know, tweak some things along the way for sure. And There's no question uh, you know, I've tried to make some changes here in the last couple months, which you know, I'm comfortable with. Shen stepped into the NHL with the Leafs as a 19-year-old and had immediate success. But after perhaps being overhyped, he struggled. He was traded to Philadelphia, spent four years there, and has since made stops in L.A. and Arizona, where his role slowly diminished. You know, most guys probably when they start their career, they think it's going to be uh, a straight arrow to the top. But uh, more often than not, unless you're uh, you know, a true superstar in the league, it's a bit of a roller coaster, and that's kind of... You know, had to battle through some ups and downs here in the last couple of years and confident, feel great and, you know, played uh, played a lot of hockey in the last couple of months. Very delayed global sports. Well, he still doesn't get a lot of ice time, but Adam Gaudet is starting to get more notice with the Canucks because his name is showing up on the score sheet a bit more. He has three points in his last four games. What has been the difference? Let's ask him. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I was rushing things a bit and, you know, a little bit panicky, but now I feel more comfortable and, you know, I think I created more space for myself out there to make a play and, you know, I'm going to try to make a play instead of just chipping it off the glass every time. That's the, just the progression of a, a young player. I don't think it's because all of a sudden we're, uh, the games mean more or it's just he's feeling more comfortable in the league. He's, I think he's developed this year and becoming a better hockey player. All right. Brendan Gallagher, Montreal, Philadelphia, 23 goals coming in, scored two in the first, and then in the second, the hat trick, which is actually his first career hat trick. So, throw the chapeaus. Five-nothing now in the third for Montreal over Philadelphia. As we told you yesterday, the most famous Canadian athlete in the world right now has retired. UFC legend George St. Pierre made the announcement in his hometown of Montreal after a 26-2 MMA record with past championships in both welterweight and middleweight divisions. And yes, his name would be a conversation starter on every continent, and you can't say that about a hockey player. GSP said he's not retiring because of his health, he feels great. But you can surmise that in some ways he's calling it quits because he's bored. I used to want to go there and beat everybody. I don't care who and when, I wanted to destroy everybody. To to go on top. I don't have the same anger, the same um, hunger anymore. 
And considering he has fought only once in the past five years, it was not really a surprise he decided to pack it in. I don't always know what I want, but I know damn well what I don't want. And what I don't want is retire too late. However, GSP did admit he might not feel this way after a few months on the sidelines. Fighters have a tendency to unretire a lot. And if the UFC approved a big money bout against Habib Nurmagomedov or Conor McGregor, maybe GSP's hunger would return. Woods making his way to the All right, Tiger Woods, first round WGC Mexico championship from Mexico City. 22 foot birdie, count it. It's tied for 25th with an even par 71. Uh, Mexico City, I think, is about 7,400 feet above sea level, so it's kind of like playing golf on the moon. Uh, this for Rory McIlroy, a two iron. Hits it a long way. Oh, yeah. No, you cannot. To within six feet. Wow. Made the eagle. Eight under, 63. Dustin Johnson had a drive today of 401 yards. That birdie from 25 feet. He's one off the lead at seven under. No Canadians are in the field. Okay, Scotty's Tournament of Hearts, Sarah Wark of Abbotsford. Early this morning, she beat Manitoba in the tiebreaker. Puts her in a championship round, which features the top eight teams and against PEI. Draws for two, ties the game 8-8. Eight, eight, and in the 10th, PEI's final shot. Drawing for the win, but like the Beatles once said, she's so heavy. Nope. Not happening. BC wins 9-8, but they lost 8-6 to Saskatchewan just moments ago, so the record is 5-4. There you go. All right, thanks, Blair. You're welcome. Here's your snow report for today. Not a lot of new snow across the province, but we certainly are going to see some in the next 24 hours. Cypress did pick up one centimeter of new snow. Revelstoke, nothing new, but Manning Park did receive five centimeters of fresh snow. Big White, a nice seven. Silver Star, one centimeter. And into Kicking Horse, no new snow. Mount Washington, though, two. And as I mentioned, more snow on the way in the next 24 hours. Coming up on ET Canada, Jesse Smollett arrested in Chicago. We have the latest bizarre twist, plus highlights from the Brit Awards, plus the cast of Killing Eve. That is all coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. I feel like you and Chris were talking about Zion Williamson yes, just we were. yesterday. Yes, he's because... one of the top college players and will be in the NBA next year. Well, hopefully he will be healthy. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, you saw this, I know, and uh -huh. a lot of people have seen this. Nike is now facing a PR disaster because last night, during one of the biggest U.S. college basketball games of the season, Zion Williamson, presumed first pick in the upcoming NBA draft, was mm -hmm. injured when his Nike sneaker blew out on the court. And injured is... Just do it? Well, that did it. His shoe blew apart. Less than a minute into the high-stakes matchup between Duke and North Carolina, with even former President Obama looking on, the Nike shoe on Zion Williamson's left foot gave up. That's unbelievable. He broke his shoe with his own foot. Freshman superstar, viewed by many as the next LeBron James, limped off with a mild knee sprain, but the damage was done. Shares of Nike falling this morning. Social media shaming the swoosh. Nike just blew it. Without its star player, 
Duke ended up losing. And here on campus, they're calling it Sneakergate. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to boycott Nike forever. We're all like very convinced that it was sabotage. I mean, we're not going to talk. Do you think somebody sabotaged the shoe? Yes. For its part, Nike's wishing Williamson a speedy recovery and says while this is an isolated occurrence, we are working to identify the issue. Maybe one solution? Hey, just glue it. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Durham, North Carolina. Nike just blew it. So, so just glue it. Just glue it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, second night in a row we got I that. didn't know we had a band, but it's cool. Um, he is 285 pounds, so that is a lot of weight being mm -hmm. pressed upon that shoe, although they shouldn't break like that, I'm sure. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, I mean, it probably has happened before, but he's a superstar and he got hurt and like so he's a big brand, noticed. but yeah. He'll be okay though? Oh, I'm sure he will be. Okay. Yeah. And Nike and, will be okay too in the long run. And is it, and then March Madness is, is Yeah, March okay? Madness is coming up in March. In March, okay, <laughs> not March yet. This okay. year it's in March calendar working. Uh, make sure to tune into Global BC Morning News tomorrow to keep updated on traffic conditions and the snow. Have a good night, everyone.